you'll please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119. It can be found on page 513 in the Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And I encourage you to look at a copy of the scripture so you can see this unique psalm here in the Bible. You know, if, if you've not read the Bible much before, if you're not used to it, it can be overwhelming. It's a big book. It's, it's a lot of pages. There's a lot of, there's a lot of content. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of different genres of, of literature. But oftentimes what we need is just to start small, go, go small to go deep. And Psalm 119 really will help you because it's, it's about the Bible. The, the whole entire psalm, all 176 verses. And so I hope that as we have worked our way through this psalm, that you found this to be very devotional and that you yourself would use it in your personal devotions to spend time in God's word. Just, just eight verses at a time. There's 22 stanzas. Each stanza, eight verses. And so we're on the fifth stanza now, verses 33 through 40. And just when we think this might all be the same or getting monotonous, it just goes deeper and deeper and richer and richer. And so hear God's word uh, this morning from Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may Keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Let's pray. Lord, teach us the way of your statutes. Give us understanding. Lead us in the path of your commandments. Incline our hearts to your testimonies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to go into my t-shirt drawer at home, you would find a mound of t-shirts. I have no idea how or why, but I collect t-shirts. And over the years, my drawer just full of of t-shirts. I try to purge them. I try to get rid of them. And people keep giving me more. Uh, but there's this one t-shirt that I'm never going to get rid of. Uh, it's about the consistency of a paper napkin. I've had it so long, but it's, it's my favorite t-shirt. Uh, my wife gave it to me long ago, and I just like it. It's very comfortable. It's a Life is Good t-shirt. I'm pretty sure I had that t-shirt before Life is Good became a worldwide phenomenon. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, I love it. I love it. It's a very comfortable t-shirt. And this t-shirt is kind of symbolic of... A lot of mottos we hear kind of in the Christian life, or just in life in general. Life is good. The good life, or the life. 
these are popular slogans. They're, they're mottos that we use, or at least we tell ourselves to enjoy life or to live life to its fullest. But what is it about life that we would call it good or that we would want more of it? What is this life? It's kind of hard to define if you think about it. Uh, Some people would not say that their life is so good because it is marked by hardship or pain or suffering or poverty or besetting sin. What is good about life for those who have not experienced much good? But others might call life good because they're enjoying what are their favorite activities or they're experiencing the blessings of children, of family life or of grandchildren or success in their careers. Many of us experience life in different ways. Here in this stanza of Psalm 119, we discover something interesting here that the psalmist cries out twice. If you look there in verse 37 and in verse 40, the psalmist cries out, give me life. Oh, Lord. What is he asking for when he cries out for life? Why does he ask for it? How does he expect to get life? Lord, give me life. Well, quite simply, the life that the psalmist desires here is a life where his heart is inclined to the righteousness of God and a heart that rejects everything that is worthless. Jesus actually has much to say about the good life. Over and over in the Gospels, especially in John, he will say things like this in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in John chapter 5, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so life, according to Jesus, is found in knowing him and knowing and believing his word. This is what our Lord teaches. Or we might say it another way. The good life is knowing Jesus and knowing his word. This is the life. This is the life the psalmist cries out for. This is the life that we must Seek in our walk with God. And so this passage teaches us how to pursue life and obtain this good life by turning away from worthless things, empty things, and turning to things of eternal value, like the Word of God. And so let's examine those two things this morning, turning away from worthless things and turning to the life-giving, eternal Word of God. That's what we'll study in this stanza. So the first thing there, true life, biblical life, the good life, is about turning away 
from worthless things. That's what he says there in verse 37. This is a, a prayer. Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things, O Lord. This is the psalmist's request. This is his earnest plea, his, his sincere prayer that his eyes literally would be turned away from things that have no value, no worth, no life. Because the psalmist knows that in the Christian walk, there will be many diversions, many distractions, many things that will bid for our attention and will seek to take us off the way, off the path. Things that will steal our joy and rob us of the good life. Shiny things, worldly things. Things that feed our selfish nature. Of course, these things that the psalmist is talking about here are idols. Idols. Idols are things that seek to promise us life and joy and happiness and fulfillment. But they cannot deliver. Idols cannot deliver what only God can give. So the psalmist prays that his eyes will be turned away from these worthless things. These things that leave us empty and lifeless and fading and void. And so the psalmist has an urgent plea here, a, a desperate prayer. Oh Lord, take my head in your hands and, and turn my eyes away from worthless things and and give me life in your ways, because that is where the good life resides. He knows he needs the Lord. In a new book that was just released called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You, uh, the author, Tony Ranke, is sounding the alarm that our, our smartphones, all our devices that we so heavily rely upon this day and age, they're changing us. And I'm not so sure they're changing us for the better. And in a recent article that he wrote on DesiringGod.org, he, Ranky writes this. He says, even if the Bible was written in a pre-mass media age, it still delivers principles that are incredibly relevant and important in our digital world. Our smartphones constantly put before our eyes worthless things, idols, lust-driven images, appeals to our materialistic desires. We endlessly scroll through things that are not, on the one hand, explicitly wrong and wicked, but on the other hand, are things without, that, add, that do not add any value to our joy or purpose on this planet. Our smartphones are now constantly delivering worthless, empty content to us 24-7. And so now more than ever, we need the word of God to help us turn our eyes away from worthless things. We need to see that every worthless, empty thing that gets our attention, unfortunately, has the adverse effect of taking our, 
our eyes off of God and putting them on not necessarily sinful things, but worthless things. Things that divert our attention away from God and his word. I'm not saying that every piece of content that your smartphone delivers to you or any device is is sinful. But what I am saying is that staring mindlessly at content on your phone or on your iPad, on any device for hours and hours each day and, and leaving no room for the eternal, it's a problem. And so we say really ridiculous things like, I don't have time. Well, you don't have time because we're wasting time. And look, I'm not throwing stones here. I preach, I preach from an iPad, okay? <laughs> All right. I don't have the internet open, though. I have it turned off. Uh, <laughs> so if you see me scrolling, I'm not gesturing over and over. <laughs> but... Do do we find ourselves that way? And some people will think, well, that's just unique to to today. I mean, hundreds of years ago, they didn't have these things to worry about. Oh, yes, they did. I mean, I can remember my dad driving down the road looking at his newspaper. I'm pretty sure that was worse distracted driving than a phone. (laughs) Our hearts are drawn to these worthless things. These idle things that take our minds off of God. It's not just technology. It's not just our smartphones. What what other worthless things, valueless things are, are you putting too much of your time and attention and heart into that you need to turn away from? Because the psalmist here is telling us and he's, 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 he's praying out, praying to God, Lord, I know my life is drawn to these Worthless things, so Lord, help me, turn me away from these things, because that is where the good life resides, away from these things. And that's the second thing. True life, biblical life, the good life, is about turning to the life-giving word of God. We turn away from worthless things, and we, we turn to something that is better. The Christian life is... It's not about just stopping bad habits. I mean, I believe that for so long, that I could be a good Christian if I just stopped doing certain things and try not to sin. But the Christian life is more than that. It's about starting good things and doing good things, pursuing good habits and and righteousness and the things of eternal life. And so true life, abundant life is to be found in the the life-giving word of God. I'm not telling you to read your Bible every day so you can be good. I'm telling you to read your Bible every day because that is where life is. It is life-giving. I said once before that I think that Daniel probably wrote Psalm 119. Probably. We don't know for sure. But the reason that I think this is because... Much of this psalm seems to be written by someone who was in exile. If you remember the prophet Daniel, he was in exile in Babylon. In Babylon, he was literally surrounded by worthless things, idols, vanity of every kind imaginable. 
And he was surrounded by so much pressure from the world that even the king's servants were trying to trick him and to get him to stop worshiping God and to turn toward idolatry and worshiping the pagan king. And so for comfort and for life and for wisdom, Daniel would cry out to God three times a day for life. Life from the promises of God in his word. And these pleas from this passage, these these prayer requests, they're a, a wonderful picture of what the Christian life should look like. And so in this fifth stanza, all these verses, really, they start with petitions. They start with Please, they start with crying out to God to do something to help us. And so in verses 33 through 36, we have these four life-giving action verbs that the psalmist prays. That he may experience this good life by turning away from worthless things and turning to the word of God. Look at what he prays in verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. He doesn't have it all together. He needs to learn. He needs to know, Lord, Lord, teach me. That I can keep your word all of my life. Look at verse 34. He prays, give me understanding so that I may wholeheartedly with all my heart observe the law that gives life. Verse 35. Lead me. In the path of the commandments for true life and true happiness is found in keeping the commandments of God. Verse 36, incline my heart to the testimonies and not to selfish gain, he prays. I want to I preach every one of these verses, but that would take too long. So... Let's just do verse 37 here for a minute. There are so many prayers that could grab our attention that we could use in so many ways. These these words help us so much in our prayer life and in our Christian life. But this petition here in verse 37, the psalmist prays, incline my heart, Lord. What he is praying, Lord, is, is bend my will. Mold my mind, move my heart to your word. Why do we need this prayer? Why is he pleading to God in this way? John Calvin is so helpful here. He says, were we naturally and spontaneously inclined to write the righteousness of the law? There would be no occasion for the petition of the psalmist to incline his heart. In other words, he's saying if if we were just naturally disposed to, of course I want to keep God's word all day long. No, that's not where we are. We need this prayer because we're not naturally inclined that way. He says, it remains, therefore, that our hearts are full of sinful thoughts and holy rebellious until God, by his grace, change them. And so we need, we desperately need 
the, the grace of God and his mighty power to bend our wills, to bow our hearts, to incline our affections to the Lord God Almighty. To be able to know and apply the word of God, we need a heart that is inclined to do the word with our lips, with our money, with our actions. So that not only do we know that in our head, but it moves to our heart and it changes the way we live. Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. And so these prayers... They're very useful. They're very practical for the Christian life. So that we may pursue the things of God that that bring meaning, that bring purpose, that bring joy, that bring life that is good. To live the good life, to to live the joy-filled life, we must cry out to God for help. We need help. We need power to to turn our eyes away from worthless things and to turn our hearts to the eternal glories found in the Holy Scriptures. Do you think you could use these prayers in your life? What would it look like if daily... You got on your knees. We got on our knees and we just prayed, Lord, teach me. Give me understanding. Lead me. Incline my heart to you and to your word. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Help me to long for your precepts. What would it look like if we prayed that every day? As Randy prayed in his prayer, that revival, it starts here, does it not? Does it not start with us? Would the world not change? Would the church not be changed? Would Cornerstone not be transformed if revival started right here? That every day we would turn away from worthless things and turn to the Lord. I love this stanza. I love it. It is very helpful to me. Your elders spent time praying through this on a vision retreat several weeks ago. It's truly a prayer for direction from God in the Christian life. I love what Pastor Christopher Ash says about this. He says, this prayer, this is the prayer of a weak but realistic believer. See that? This is the prayer of a weak we all feel weak at times, but, but it's real life, right? I mean, this is what we really need. Teach me, lead me, turn me, make me firm. Because the moment you leave me to my own desires, I will turn away to worthless things. We need the Lord. In his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul gives a charge to the Philippian church that I think is very applicable for us today, for the church today. He says this in Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, 
if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about such things, he says. Meditate on these things. Ponder these things. Apply your life to these things. And so the Holy Scriptures, the statutes, the law of God, the commandments, the testimonies, God's ways, these are the things that we need to think about and hold before us so that we may have life. Turn your gaze away from things that are worthless, that have no value, and instead turn to the things that do. Like the Word of God. It is treasure. It is joy unimaginable. It is to be more desired than gold. The grass withers. The flowers fade. An EMP could knock out all our technology. But the word of God will stand forever. And so may God help us to turn our eyes away from worthless things, valueless things, and turn to his life-giving word, which is where we see Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray this prayer. We pray that you would turn our eyes away from ourselves and, to, and away from worthless things. And Lord, would you incline us? Would you strengthen us? Would you confirm in us your promises? Would you help us to long for your precepts? And in your righteousness, give us life everlasting. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.